0: This is Toronto Today on TSN 1050, the voice of Toronto sports.
1: High Noon, this is Toronto Today. Mike Hogan with you here on TSN 1050. Gareth Wheeler usually here. Hopefully, wheels will be back in tomorrow. Coming up on this program, this hour, we will... Preview the game between the Argos and the Calgary Stampeders, and uh, we'll have Glenn Johnson on the CFL. Uh, what's the official business card? Say, senior vice president of football. Uh, they made a fairly significant uh, change to the rules in midstream, in midseason, about a third of the way through. So we'll talk to Glenn about that. First up, though, uh, before we bring aboard our guest, for those of you who haven't heard this clip, uh, this is uh, a question posed to one Dallas Keuchel about. Well, you'll hear the question and the answer.
2: Your thoughts on the deadline and what the Astros did and maybe
3: what they weren't able to do? I mean, I'm not going to lie, disappointment is a little bit of, a, of an understatement. I, I feel like a bunch of teams really bolstered their their rosters for the, for the long haul and for a, a huge playoff push. And... and uh, us just kind of staying pat was really was really disappointing to myself. I know a lot of the guys feel like we can win in here, and, and that's that's a pretty accurate statement. And that's why we built such a great lead. But um, I think when it comes down to it, it's, it's now it's going to be uh, we're going to win for each other, and uh, that's it.
1: Dallas Keuchel with an honest answer to a, a very honest question posed by our next guest joining us from mlb.com he covers the houston astros for that uh, website brian mctaggart joining us brian thanks for joining us
2: you're welcome thanks for having me
1: it was so nice to hear a conversation between a reporter with an honest question no bias at all and an honest answer from an athlete who wasn't trying to couch anything, he was just he was absolutely awesome- I thought that was just a, a very fascinating exchange in an era where we don't often get that
2: yeah, you know D- Dallas is a, a pretty honest guy, and um you know earlier the the day before I had asked a couple of other players um about the trade deadline, and I got pretty diplomatic answers, and yeah. we believe in each other and we think we can win and with what we have and, and that sort of thing and I didn't get a chance to talk to Dallas that day, but I just knew knowing Dallas as well as I know him that um he might have something different to say. So um I asked him if he had any thoughts on the deadline and he, he said he did. And I said, I, you know, I want to interview him. And yeah, and he, he gets some pretty honest answers. And, you know, he also echoed that, you know, he, he still believes in the team they have right now. And he, he thinks if they make the playoffs, they'll get to the world series. But, you know, when you look around at the, the Dodgers got better and the Yankees got better and all these teams in contention get better, I think that was the, the most disappointing thing. But, um, you know, the reaction from the fans was almost split. I mean, I think of people, a, lot of, a lot of fans applauded Dallas, and some said, well, he needs to just worry about uh, pitching and not worry about the front office. But, yeah, it was, it was good to hear someone just, just give an honest answer. We, we don't get that a whole lot from athletes, it seems
1: like. You mentioned that um, the guys that you had talked to previously probably had a little more guarded answer when you asked them that question. What, what percentage of the clubhouse do you honestly think agrees with Keichel?
2: I would say most. I mean, I, w- I would say, I would probably say at least three fourths, maybe even up to ninety percent. I mean, you know, you're, you, when you look around and everybody else is making deals to get better and you don't, um, you know, you're like, well, what what's going on here? But yeah, you know, they do. They did have a sixteen game lead in the division at the time, but the Dodgers are run away the best team in baseball, and they go out and land Darvish. You no, know, it's not that the Astros didn't try. Apparently, they were. Very close on a lot of deals. They were at the one yard line. Uh, had a couple of deals pulled out from under them. They they tried to get Britain, um, Justin Wilson. They tried to get, and uh, I don't think it was from a lack of effort. I think for whatever reason or another, it didn't work out. I, I think it probably came down to Astros weren't willing to part with a handful of their top prospects. And um, you know whether you whether you're uh, you know whether you want to hoard prospects or, or trade some of these guys to to try to get try to win now, you know, we'll see, but maybe management felt like, you know, the team is constructed wasn't worth giving up two or three of their top prospects and hurting them for the next couple of years. So, uh, you know, it'd be interesting to be in those those trade talks, but we weren't, so we can only we can only uh, guess what went on, but, but certainly Dallas uh, wished they could have got something done.
1: Well, it's funny from the outside looking in, and, and you know, geographically speaking, we're certainly a long way away, but whether it's reading your website or some of the other uh, places to get information, I wasn't expecting an, uh, you know, if the Astros make a move for a, picture, a pitcher. It was just, who, who are they going to get? Were they going to get Darvish? Were they going to get Sonny Gray? Were they going to get somebody else? Um, were you stunned that they didn't add a pitcher? Because it, just, it seemed it was fate complete.
2: Yeah, yeah, I was. I mean, I, I really thought they were going to get one of the top guys in the market. I, as, as the deadline got closer, I was like, "There's no way they don't land a reliever at this point." Yeah. You know, er, early in the season, it was like they got to add a starting pitcher somewhere, and then as the, their starting pitching got healthy and, and they started to build a little depth, it, it became clear they needed another lockdown reliever, and uh, you know, the fact they didn't get one um, was really shocking. I mean, yeah, they did get Liriano from from the Blue Jays, but. I don't, that's not the kind of deal I think is going to move the needle a lot for a lot of people.
1: And he is not a lockdown reliever. There's no question <laughs> about that. Um, what was the reaction to that trade, uh, both from those who cover the team and for those who pay the money to go and sit in the seats?
2: Um, I think it was a little indifference. I mean, you know, when they traded for Liriano, there were still a couple of hours left in the deadline, and, and people were like, okay, well, you know, let's wait for the big move here. And, and so... Um, you know they're going to bring him in and use him in in lefty relief. He's not really going to start unless they have some issues. And His numbers against lefties are pretty good, but it's not the kind of move that is going to excite a lot of people. Um, you know, it's uh, you know it's just everyone was waiting for Zach Britton or or uh, or somebody else to to uh, come to Houston, and it just didn't happen.
1: Brian McTaggart joining us from MLB.com covers the Houston Astros, and uh, your your conversation with Keuchel was certainly interesting. Uh, his first start was as well, but for all of the wrong reasons. He was in 60 or 70 pitches through a couple of innings. Uh, how did he look last night in start number two?
2: Yeah, he looked okay. Uh, still not very efficient. Still not the same Dallas Keuchel before. He missed eight weeks with a, a neck injury, and uh, you know was pretty much uh, dominating before that. So You know, he ended up going five innings, I think, through a lot of pitches and and suffered his first loss of the season. Um, So, you know, he's got a ways to go, and I I wouldn't be too worried about him. I I think as long as he's healthy, he's got time to to work through some things and and get this thing rolling by the middle of August and, and going into September, but. That was his first start at home since May, so he, he's still trying to, I think, get back back on track and, and back in, the, in a rhythm a little bit.
1: I don't have a rooting interest here, um, but I really enjoy watching the Astros play. I like their style of ball. I love the middle infield. Uh, I don't know how a baseball fan couldn't. Um, but if there's one criticism when I've been talking to folks around Major League Baseball uh, about the Astros, it's not about the team per se, but they, they, they mention that they think the team is built for 162, yet... Uh, When they're playing a team that can maybe throw Chris Sale at them, or uh, a team like that that maybe they're more built for the long run as opposed to a short series, would you concur, or 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 do you think that there's uh, uh, there's nothing to that argument?
2: Yeah, I think I agree with that a little bit. I mean, if they get to the playoffs, um, you know, how do they match up against the the the, the Yankees at this point? How do they, even though they've they've really played really well against the Yankees, how do they match up against the Indians? Indians are already a team that. Has uh, dominated them a little bit this year, and then you mentioned Sale and the Red Sox. Uh, I, you know the Astros. I don't think lining up in a series are going to match up with, with their starting pitching very well. And then those teams <clears throat> um, have better bullpens too than the Astros do. So, and we all know when you get into the playoffs, the bullpen bull, bullpen depth becomes magnified. Magnified games get get shortened by bullpen. So, um, but. They do have this uh, tenacious offense that scores six seven runs a game, and you know right now they have a couple of their, their their main guys, maybe other than Altuve. Their two main guys are on the DL. Got shut out last night, so with uh, Carlos Correa and George Springer out, the offense isn't the same. But there's still enough depth where they can really hurt you on any night. But I do I do agree. Going into the playoffs, um, you know they're they're gonna they're gonna be very uh, find some very tough matchups, and they're really gonna have to. I think try to outscore teams and try to hit some of these elite pitchers because I just don't see them matching up very well pitching-wise.
1: Correa and Springer, are they both close?
2: Uh, Springer has started running a little bit. He's got a quad injury. Um, I think he's still a few days away. I don't think we'll see him against the Blue Jays. is still a long ways away. I mean, he he suffered a a thumb ligament injury, had surgery. He's at least a month away, I think. So, They're confident they'll they'll get him on the field um, in early September and have him ready to go by the playoffs.
1: We did talk about Liriano before we go. I would be remiss if I didn't ask you about Teoscar Hernandez and and what you know about him. And uh, uh, what, what you know, you mentioned the fans were fairly indifferent. Were they when the trade deadline came and went? Uh, were they a little upset they had lost this kid?
2: Not really. I think just because they have a, they have a couple of outfielders on their prospect chart right ahead of them, Derek Fisher is now in the big leagues, and then Kyle Tucker the number one prospect, but. You know, Tosker's is a guy who uh, who came up last year and really made it made a good impression. He's, he's got some tools. He's he's got some speed. He's got a little bit of pop. Uh, you can play him anywhere in the infield. He runs a little bit. Uh, very likable guy. Plays with a, a smile on his face. Plays hard. Um, yeah, I think he profiles in the big leagues as maybe a, an extra outfielder. When all is said and done, you know, maybe he could blossom into a starter somewhere for some team. But I, I think he's a, a usable piece that uh, he that uh, fans will enjoy playing. He's I know he's, he's the number nine prospect, I believe. But, um, you know, the Astros have so much prospect depth that it wasn't like, oh, no, we're letting our, our top outfield prospect go. But, you know, I'd like to see if he takes the next step in his career, he could become, uh, could become a starter in the big leagues. But I, I don't see him being a, a star or anything like that down the road.
1: Brian, a pleasure. This was a lot of fun. Uh, nice job with the Keuchel interview, and thank you so much for joining us today.
2: Okay, thanks for
1: having. Me. That is uh, Brian McTaggart joining us from MLB. dot com, covers the Houston Astros uh, for that publication and, um, or I guess website and uh, a nice answer from Keuchel. I was very happy and relieved to see somebody actually speaking about, uh, uh, or I guess answering a question honestly. And now the Jays get to go into Houston on the weekend. Uh, that might not be all that pretty, but you know, I I don't know if I have a favorite team. In the American League, there are some teams I like watching. I like watching the Red Sox play. I like watching the Astros play. Um, I like watching Cleveland play. The Yankees are an intriguing team to me, uh, but if if, if there is one team that I would probably find myself rooting for a little bit more, it would probably be Houston. I just if they're going, and as mentioned, Cray not going to be back soon. Uh, but when they are healthy, uh, my lord, is there a, is there a more entertaining team to watch? When they have that middle infield going, especially with Altuve and Correa, they've got Springer uh, again, who is uh, who's a hell of a hitter. Gurriel, Yuli Gurriel, uh, whose brother is obviously a fairly highly touted uh, Blue Jays prospect. We talked about the family yesterday with Rick Westhead. Uh, go back and take a look at his piece on the Gurriel family. Uh, just just Google Rick Westhead Cuban baseball, and you'll find it. Um, with Lourdes Junior. and uh, you know the Blue Jays prospect and and their father, um, it's it's a fascinating story. But if, you know the brothers defecting here to North America, at least to to the United States, down to Miami. So it's a it's a fascinating story. Um, screws how much do you like? Do you enjoy watching Houston, or do you for whatever reason not Absolutely. like them?
3: The young squad. That's the kind of that's the way you have to build baseball teams nowadays. You got to follow the Astros model. Well, do you do you mean blow it up and suck for four years? Yeah, pretty much. Because they they drafted well. It's
1: not like you're automatically getting the high draft pick who's going to report and play for you next year. Especially in baseball. Yeah, you have to you have to draft well, and you have to be patient. Uh, But sometimes, you know, you'll see a seventh round draft pick often be a lot better than the first round draft pick. It's a it's a real crapshoot in that sport unless you're you know getting one of these not generational guys, but you'll get two or three a year that you look at and you go, okay, that's a can't-miss prospect. Don't know how good he's going to be at the pro level, but there's very little chance he's not going to make the majors. Um, There are very few guys like that in that sport when it comes to the draft. You're a huge Correa fan, right, Mr. Bauer? Oh, yeah,
4: you're looking at me? Oh, yeah, I was just going to say, like I've been to two Jays games this year. The first one was uh, Edwin Encarnacion's return with the Indians back in May, Yeah, and the second one, I got six row seats, to go see the Astros just to go see the Astros. Uh, I mean, Carlos Correa and Jose Altuve alone make that yeah. team worth watching. They have uh, three MVP candidates this
3: year.
1: Yeah, well, yeah. You know, Altuve certainly, and, and, and Springer when he's healthy. And Correa when and he's, he's healthy. Getting close. And that's, you know, if Correa had been a candidate, that's gone. Still I don't think they should got the
3: a pitcher though. They don't have a single starter that intimidates you in the postseason. It's, it's funny though. You need you need that kind of player, right?
1: Like last year the the Red Sox got that with Rick Porcello, who didn't pitch well the year before and they brought him in and you know, he he regained his form so to speak. Keiko, we know how good he was a couple of years ago and then last year fell off the planet. And then this year, well, was he 10 and 0 before last night? I know wins aren't the 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 only indication, but he pitched a lot better I think than anybody had expected him. To pitch, and you need that if you're going to make a run.
3: Even the Royals had Johnny Cueto, like not the sure. most formidable, but at least it's a name. Like mm-hmm. Keuchel's kind of a name because he only had that he had that one year, but but when he had that one,
1: yeah, the one year was <laughs> ridiculously really, really, really good. good.
3: Don't get me wrong, but like you don't, they don't have a shutdown bullpen either.
1: No, and you know McCullers and Keuchel going through the injury problems that they have. <sighs> I don't know. I love I of the teams in the American League. I can most easily see myself, and I, and it's not just because of the the, the number of wins, and a, you know, I, I'm far from being a front runner, but I just enjoy the style of baseball. I like small ball. You I like know, Cleveland I, as well. I like the fact too. that Altuve can run, and even Bregman, who did, was so bad at the beginning of the season, he can run a little bit. Uh, Correa, uh, he can scoot a little bit. Not a base dealer per se, but he, he can go. So they've got some guys.
4: Now, for me, like I feel the same way about the Astros the way as I do about the Cubs. It's just that influx of young talent that both those teams have. I mean, and Astros—think about Cubs, Astros, World Series. How much fun would that be? But the the Cubs are different than
1: the Astros because the Cubs can buy their way to a World Championship, and they've added some big-name free agents. Astros aren't in 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 that situation, even though they're in a big city. I mean, Houston's a bigger city than I think a lot of people realize. they don't seem to be a team that spends a ton of dough with the other big boys, right? Like they're not. Are bringing... you
3: selling the name of Josh Reddick? <laughs> How dare you! <laughs> but you know what I'm saying. No, absolutely.
1: Um, so it's a, it's it's a big market team that historically has played small market paychecks. So I'd, they're not the Cubs. I think they're easier to like than the Cubs. Uh, I know there's that lovable loser thing with the Cubs, but that can change in a hurry. How many people love the Boston Red Sox for forty years because they never won anything and they were so close a couple of times? And you know they let that one get away against the Mets in '86. And if the '75 World Series isn't the most entertaining World Series of all time, it's in the top two or three. And the Red Sox on the short end of that both times uh, in my lifetime, uh, you know. But they've gone to a team that wins at will, and they're they're the Yankees now, aren't they? If there's a big money guy out there, they're going to be in play for them. Love the ballpark. Love the history. I don't find the team as lovable as it once was. Because you knew they were going to lose. It's easy to like the losers. The Cubs the same way. You know, I'm growing up, but when I'm a little kid, it's Ernie Banks. Who the hell didn't like Ernie Banks? You couldn't not like Ernie Banks or Ron Santo or Billy Williams. I was never a Cubs fan. Fergie Jenkins on that team. Waved the Canadian flag. I don't know if the the Cubs don't give me that sort of warm feeling that they did even a decade ago when uh, when Bartman was involved. Like that was an that was an entertaining team. It was it wasn't uh, uh it had some excellent pitchers, you know, prior in that era with Kerry Wood and like, there were there were some guys who could bring it. I don't know. I just don't find the Cubs lovable. I know. Oh, you hear do. MacArthur
3: talk about him for four hours a day.
1: Well you knew that was you knew he was going to be insufferable. Right? It wasn't, it wasn't, oh, man, that's the happiest day of my life. That's great. We had to hear from every Cubs fan as to why they were a Cubs fan and how you know, good on me for being, you know, a Cub fan for as long as I was. I've never been alive for an Eagles championship. I'm going to get drunk and party. That's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to talk about my fandom as an Eagles fan and how long-suffering it was. They've sucked for a long time. They've had Damn some straight. good teams, eh? Damn straight. They've
4: sucked for a long. Well, time. Well, you're a Giants <laughs> fan,
1: but you know, like, for you, how old were you when the Giants finally won?
4: I was first year at University of Guelph. I would have been. I would have just turned eighteen. And when did you start cheering for the Giants? Uh, in 2004, after they drafted Eli Manning. Okay, so you ha- it was it was a little while. It was. not I, I had a few, and yeah, I had a. F- Couple years of struggles, then there were the years of you know, couple years of Tiki Barber, and I mean he was great. They got you know shut out by the Panthers in the first round, that whole deal. But like if, you know, if, for for the most part, they've been a competitive team, or at least at least a very dramatic team to watch. Even in their down years, in between their Super Bowls, they they always they always find if they lose, they lose in an exciting or, in my case, a very depressing fashion. Like, what's it going to be like here
1: if the Leafs win a Stanley Cup?
4: Will be the worst. We will just it'll, be awful.
1: It'll be it'll be great for the city. It'll be spectacular for the city. And I will be so happy for, especially guys of my vintage, two of my best, maybe my two best friends in the world are both Leaf fans who don't remember 67. They were too young. Who grew up with the Keon Sittler era and just have been there. And when the team sucked, and there are so many people in this market like that, who when the team sucked and had no chance, They were still getting together with the family on Saturday night and getting together to watch the Leaf game. And if they played on a Wednesday night and the game intrigued them, either they were there loyally or were there more often than not and would find a reason to watch. Hey, there's this young kid that I'm really wanting to watch and maybe, you know, we can watch him together and we'll watch young, insert failed prospect here, we'll watch him grow up together. And sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. But there was that ongoing storyline. So for the people who have been loyal to the team, extremely loyal to the team, and haven't been the in-your-face types about it, who just sit back and that's their entertainment, those are the people I'm going to be thrilled for if slash when the Toronto Maple Leafs win a Stanley Cup. Um, But you know the other type, right? The people who, when the Leafs aren't winning, don't watch the games at all, Yet when they win, out comes the leaf jersey, and they'll talk. They'll they'll buy the latest, uh, the latest big player jersey. How many people hadn't watched a leaf game in the last four years? And there they are with their Matthews sweaters. I mean, there's a lot like that in the market. I don't, I don't care about them. Good for them. I just it, it's, it it won't mean to as much to them as it will to the long suffering fan who did it rather quietly but was loyal and just went out and watched the game for the entertainment purposes, those are the people I'm going to be happy for. Will the Tennessee Titans ever win a Super Bowl,
3: Skriz? Corey Davis got hurt today at practice, so I don't know. Not feeling too good. Like you're happy with your quarterback. You've got a guy who you probably think at some point with
1: all the pieces in place could get you there.
3: You would hope so. You
1: would he's think so. Flashes. Well, he's, he's got all skill in the world. Absolutely. But now it's
3: fill in the other spots. They need a defense. Playoff team this year? Possibly wild Borderline card. playoff team. I think Houston's the, the, the favorite in the division. Sure. But I think they have a chance at a wild card. It'll be them and probably a team in the FC West. hmm Broncos or Raiders. hmm Chiefs. So you're seeing signs
1: of life. It's been a while, but yes. I'm in the same boat you are. Eagles have a young quarterback that you look at. Improved your wide receivers. (sighs) Thank you, Mr. Jeffrey. Love having him there. Um, But when you look at the young quarterback, you look to the future and you say, if everything falls into place, quarterback might not be the problem. There will be other problems, but with Mariota,
3: fix other. You can fix other problems, Hoagie. It's hard to find a quarterback. A lot
1: quicker than you can fix a quarterback problem. Absolutely. And uh, I'll ask Houston. Mm. Right, spend a lot of money and don't get anything back. That can be a problem. Um, so, for guys like us, who are pretty quiet about it. We're fans. We're not in your face, passionate. I'll be if Tennessee was happy, uh, were to win, I would be very happy for you.
3: Uh, I would pray for Titans, Eagles, Super Bowl. Yeah, <laughs> get out of here, Giants fan! Don't give me that look.
1: Yeah. Whatever. Uh, Can we scoot away here? And then we'll come back and uh, Glenn Johnson will uh, drop by, the CFL's VP of officiating. Hopefully we'll connect with uh, Jeff Johnson as well to preview the game tonight between the Argos and the Stamps. As we continue with Toronto Today, I'm Mike Hogan. This is TSN 1050. Call 28. This is... Toronto Today on TSN 1050. Michael getting in for Gareth Wheeler. Wheels hopefully back tomorrow. Uh, let's see, coming up with the program, a couple of minutes, Glenn Johnson is going to join us, who is a suit with the Canadian Football League. Senior VP of Football. How, how do you change a major rule in midstream? Third of the way through the season, uh, they, just, they changed the way that coaches could challenge uh, a play on the field in terms of uh, getting the instant replay. So we'll talk to Glenn about that. Uh, a little more Wedding of the appetite for tonight's game. Uh, the head cro- uh, head coach of the Toronto Argonauts, we all know Mark Trussman. Fantastic resume, you know, uh, with the 49ers when they were great as their offensive coordinator with Steve Young and leading the NFL in points, and you know, uh, turning an older Steve Gann, a Rich Gannon, sorry, into the uh, into the uh, MVP in two thousand and two, um, and that Raider team. Sort of surprisingly getting to the Super Bowl he was uh, the OC there so I, I mean he had a really good record um, in the NFL coming up here pristine record with uh, with Montreal in the in the cFO we know the guy can coach and we know he knows quarterbacks um, you know whether it be Bernie Kosar, either in college with Miami or at the pro level uh, had great deal of success there but Tressman um, was asked about young quarterbacks All a you know Uh, Johnny Manziel, but not necessarily Manziel, but younger quarterbacks coming up to play in the CFL from either the NFL or the NCAA. Here's what Mark Trussman said on the morning show today.
0: I think number one, in coming from the south to the north, whether it's from the NFL or from college, you have to understand that this is a great league and you have to respect what you're coming into. If you come in here at title, you have no chance. That's number one. And then you have to spend time in a meeting room to understand that we have rules that are brilliantly conceived and a game that is brilliantly conceived. And if you don't give it your undivided and fullest attention uh, in detail and preparation and study, you have no chance. Um, those are the first lines of demarcation. And then if you've had success and you have ability and intangibles and toughness and courage, and you're willing to study and put in the time, then you've got a chance. That's really it. So, um, you know, I didn't see Johnny Manziel play in college, I think, one time, very, very briefly, because I don't watch college football, and I have no interest in it. Um, so I don't spend time watching college players. Uh, but um, certainly, you know, from what I hear, he's a, he's a talented guy, and there's a lot of talented guys that come to the league. But if, unless they invest and unless their minds are right, uh, I don't think they even get their career off the ground here.
1: That was Mark Trestman, head coach of the Argos, getting ready for uh, Calgary tonight. He was on the morning show today with Dave Naylor and Matt Cause. Uh, Somebody who would have seen Mark Trestman on the sidelines as uh, he has now gone from a striped shirt to a striped tie as the senior vice president of football for the uh, Canadian Football League. Glenn Johnson's on the line. What's up, Glenn? Hey, how you doing, Ogie? Very well, thank you. What was Trestman like on the sideline to you as a a head official? Uh,
5: Incredibly respectful, incredibly thoughtful, um, yeah, I really enjoyed uh, working with him uh, when he was out there. And, you know, he's still very much the same. Uh, you know, When he came back to the league, we spent a fair bit of time with him, just updating him on some of the changes that have that happened while he was away and very engaged. You know, and that's the thing about him. He's such a hard worker all the time. But, uh, no, very respectful. I've got a lot of time for Mark.
1: It's funny. The one time I've seen him lose, he's lost it a couple of times uh, at camp, very briefly, mind you. Um, but it's for guys wasting time. Like it's yeah. you can tell it's a pet peeve that just drives him insane. Oh, yeah. Did you yeah. ever did he ever snap? Like did he ever get really angry with you or one of your cohorts? So uh, when he was coaching, because I we haven't seen it yet here in Toronto. No,
5: no. I think I think one time he said to me, "Gosh darn it!" Um, <laughs> but um, no, really rock solid. And it's funny you say that because again I'll say, uh, you know, when we went we went to visit with his club and talk about some of the rule changes and things this year, and, and with his entire players, you know, it was very much, you know, let's start on time, let's finish on time, you know, we've got more things to get done today, and uh, so, no, he's, he's uh, certainly first class.
1: Well, let's uh, get into one of the rule changes, and you, you kind of uh, piqued the interest there, because uh, a fairly significant change uh, implemented by the Canadian Football League, oddly enough, in the middle of a season, or a third of the way into the season, um, can, can you go over what happened and why did it happen?
5: Yeah, you know, uh, I mean, I guess the story starts about four years ago when, you know, we were the first league to bring in judgment calls, uh, penalty calls to be reviewable as part of instant replay. Um, you know, and going even further back, when instant replay was brought in, it was really brought in to fix obvious indisputable errors you know, that may have an effect or an outcome on a game. So, you know, we brought in defensive pass interference four years ago. We did that alone for two years. Uh, felt we were in a pretty good spot, you know, being relatively consistent with it. Um, and then two years ago, we added uh, seven more penalty types. And these are penalty types of big plays. So it was all the stuff around passing, mm-hmm. uh, roughing the passer, roughing the kicker, you know, no yards, illegal blocks on kick plays, those big plays that could be game changing. And we added those to be reviewable. We didn't give the coaches any more challenges, we just gave them more things to challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, and and again the intent was still to fix big plays. Y'all go back to the 2015 Great Cup. You know, had we not had an opportunity with about 4 minutes left in the game, you know, to fix a, a an obviously incorrect call, Great Cup may have ended up on the other team's uh, in the other team's locker room. So sure. so the systems, you know, really evolved. Um, you know, we continue to be innovators in this space. You know, we're doing more things than other leagues. Um and you know, as we develop these things in the uh, in the off season, when we put them on the field, you know, they don't necessarily always play out exactly the way we thought. Um, so, again, I think the good thing is that we've had the courage as the league to listen to the fans, listen to the media, really understand, you know, how to make the game better and how to make the fan experience better, which is where we landed, you know, yesterday, uh, which was, you know, the challenges have started to become, uh, they're trying to be used to ref the game. Yeah. You know, that's really not a good place. Um, we've drifted away from leaving them for the big, indisputably wrong calls. Official gets blocked out. He's got the bad angle. We, you know, we don't have a flag. We should. Uh, so we're really trying to get back to those first principles. And in talking to, you know, competition committee, I spent time with general managers and head coaches over the last couple of days working hard. What was the right thing to do now? without trying to get too technically correct or over-engineer it or tinker too much? What could we do in the short term to respond to the fans' demands? There were too many challenges. They were interrupting the flow of the game. Um, So what we landed on was, let's go back to giving them one each. They still have the opportunity to really go back to the first principle. So they've got something. If it's late in the game, we make a bad call. We miss something we should call they still have the opportunity to, to, to fix that game-changing play. So, long answer, but, yeah. but you know, I mean, that's kind of how we got where we are.
1: So let, let's go through the timeline, because it, it might be too easy to draw a line here, but a couple of weeks ago, Saskatchewan was at Calgary, and uh, a, a, an entertaining game, but the first... I think in the first ninety seconds, or maybe even three or four challenges, it just it was not the way you want to start a game. And then on Friday night, a spectacular game. Edmonton and BC was just a lot of fun. But again, the the flow of the game was slowed down because of challenge flags. Would it be a too easy a line to draw to say that those two games had everything to do with the decision over uh, the last few days? Yeah, we I mean, wouldn't
5: say everything, Mike, but I mean certainly probably the tipping point. Um, you know, and it's exactly that. I mean, as Randy. Uh, spend more time out in the field uh, with clubs with with fans you know with uh, football people, and then just watching them himself you know he said look i mean i 'm not getting this uh, i, I don 't think this is what we want, um, so he came in and just said, Look, Glenn, like fix it real quick uh,
1: uh-huh.
5: yeah so so it 's probably not to draw a line in the sand, but I think you 're right it was probably those things were probably the tipping points
1: okay so so take me through now what you do so 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 the new commissioner comes in and he says, Glenn, Fix this. Yeah. Uh, easier said than done. I mean, I, I assume that you had to go to the Board of Governors, right, who, who, you know, let's face it, Board of Governors in any major sport or any major business rarely agree on everything. So so yeah. when when he tells you, go fix it, what do you do?
5: Yeah, so I started with taking him through the history. Like, you know, we have done a lot of hard work on this over the last three or four years. You know, it's not like we just all of a sudden said, hey, let's try this. You yeah. know, there's a lot of really great football people that invested time to arrive at the system we have now. So I took them through the history, all the analysis we did last year, uh, you know, which, which you know, supported making a change, which we made a small change by putting a timeout at risk. Yeah. Um, but it clearly ended up not being enough of a penalty for the coaches. So I quickly got on the phone. Uh, you know, I made a ton of calls to general managers, head coaches, how do you guys feel about this? Um, and I got a broad range of responses. You know, I got guys telling me that you know, we should just abolish this. You know, I'm spending so much time on this as a coach as opposed to, you know, just coaching football. Yeah. You know, I've got a guy who's got a tablet. He's focused on this tablet. You know, he his this whole job now. We created a new job for that. Hmm. Um, you know, and then other guys who said, you know, it's not far off. You know, we think, we think it's, it's good, uh, but it's not right. Um, so I think the general underlying theme was from the, from the clubs was we needed to do something. So then we took it to the competition committee, which is a smaller group, more business-focused people, um, who said, yeah, we need to do something now. We're aligned with doing something, come back with some options. And really the options I took back to them, Mike, were simple. Let's do less, right, or let's take things away that are challengeable. because there's mm-hmm. less things challengeable, you know, we'll, we'll reduce the number of challenges. So when we put those two proposals in front, um, the, the overwhelming Unanimity came with, no, no, we have to leave the things because it could just equally be a bad illegal contact call as it could be an illegal or a bad, uh, missed roughing the passer call. One of those two things is just as important, so leave them. But let's reduce the number and let's not have a situation where we've got three challenges, you know, 90 seconds into the game. So we took it to the competition committee. They unanimously agreed to that.
1: When was that, Glenn?
5: that would have been I mean what day is it today it's just been <laughs> today's a,
1: Thursday, I believe
5: yeah yeah, yeah. um so it so would have been that would have been Tuesday uh afternoon, probably by about five o'clock on Tuesday mm-hmm. we had the competition committee aligned, um so then the commissioner took that to the lead governors uh later that evening, so we had consensus probably by about eleven o'clock pm on tuesday.
1: So there was a conference called held with the uh, board of governors? Yeah. yeah. And was it was it, just out of curiosity was it unanimous or was it uh, was it yep. just majority?
5: No, unanimous.
1: Which is that's un- that's unbelievable.
5: Yeah, I mean in so, in some ways Mike, but I mean it tells you. It also said to me, you know, when I when I started to talk to people, n- no one, not one person said to me you should just leave it.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
5: So so that said a big thing, right? And and I think it's great. I mean, the other thing about, you know, the governors, they're obviously they're much closer to the to the running the business and the business side. And, you know, we're out trying to sell tickets. Uh, the game is as good as it's been. You've been around a long time. Mm-hmm. You know, the games is... You
1: good just as called me old Glenn. <laughs> yeah.
5: But, you know, <laughs> it's great right now. It's absolutely yeah. fantastic. And the one thing that's got this slight detraction is the challenges. So, We heard loud and clear, so it was really time to fix it. Uh, You know, I I feel we're in a good spot. I think this change is going to help.
1: I did mention this earlier, and you know me, I'm not prone to hyperbole, but uh, I can't remember a better start to the CFL season a third of the way through. This has been been phenomenal football.
5: It really has. You know, the the coaching, the athletes, um, you know, officials have stayed out of it more. You know, last week we averaged 12.5 penalties. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, which is fantastic, and, and a vast majority of those are just procedural. You know, somebody jumping offside, or uh, so. No, I think I think it's it's as good as it's ever been, for sure. And we wanted to quickly get the one impediment that was hanging over us out of the way, and, and I really think we've done that.
1: So are Jake Ireland and Jeff Harbin and the video guys going to be bored now? Like, what, what are they? Are you going to have them no. like clean up the office uh, during games while they're waiting for something to, to to come their way?
5: Oh no, not at all. So you know, <laughs> once again, we added. You know, we added that component of the video official who's able to change those things in the moment, yeah. you know, fix a bad offside flag, get the spot right, make sure we've got the right number on fouls. So it's still busy in there, but, you know, and again, maybe at the end of the year we have to look at, you know, how we deliver uh, the whole replay official uh, concept anyway, right? So
0: sure.
5: who knows what we're going to do there, but... Uh yeah, in the meantime, though, they're still
1: working hard. Awesome, they always are. Thank you for doing this, and, and you know what, uh, this interview. But the, from from fan and media perspective, thanks for doing what you guys did as a league. I mean, it was it was it was distracting, and you, you you tried to clean it up last year, and I thought it was a good first step. And this one had to be done. So congratulations yeah. on doing it when yeah. you did.
5: Well, thanks a lot, Mike. Appreciate
1: it. Be well. See you tonight. Thank you, Glenn. Take care, Glenn Johnson, joining us, the CFL's senior VP of football. Fascinating timeline. They can go. Well, but think about how much of a pain in the ass it is for a sports league, and for you as a fan, when you don't like a rule, and you hear, well, now they've got to go that, they've got to talk to the Board of Governors, and they've got to do it in the summer, and they've got to do it in the off season, they've got to go to the competition committee, and then it probably won't get, uh, uh, it, it won't get done because everybody's old school and they don't want to make change for the sake of change, and, and blah, 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 and the, the damn thing never gets done. There's the timeline. The commissioner saw something happen a couple of weeks ago and then he saw it happen on Friday night and he says to Glenn Johnson, change this. They have a competition committee meeting and a board of governors meeting, two of them, on Tuesday and they make the announcement on Wednesday that they're making this change a third of the way into the season. How come every league can't do that? How come every league can't say, hey, this is broken, let's fix it, let's do it now. So kudos to the league for doing that because it was problematic. And, and as good as the league has been, there were nights where you just left and you were mentally exhausted because you were just waiting for the next challenge flag. That's done. One per team, one per game. That's it. You're right, you get one. You're wrong, you get one. No bonus one for being right. Save it until you need it. I think that's fantastic. They've got the game tonight. Uh, I guess Jeff Johnson is not going to be able to uh, join us today, so we have a, a, a WTF coming up next. As you're listening to Toronto Today, I'm Mike Hogan. This is TSN 1050. Hit my snooze alarm for the 27th time Just don't feel like going to work Think
3: I'll call my
1: boss I always find it intriguing When an off-air conversation Translates to on the air And right now, people have no idea why we're playing Weird Al Yankovic, but that's Weird Al Yankovic We're talking in the break about how the man is a genius Yeah, I, I, I'm a big fan of Weird Al That's all it was And the guys on the other side of the glass Concur, which is
3: nice For once, right Skrizz? You don't like Weird Al? You don't have a soul Convinced? Hashtag hot take. Well, yeah, t- Tyler Hunt would
1: be one of those guys. One of our producers here doesn't like Weird Al. Like, Come on, really? How can you not like Weird Al? uh Hogan and for Gareth Wheeler. This is the uh, the segment that uh, you guys have branded WTF. Sorry, hashtag WTF. Well, look at some of the stuff that's sports related, but uh, not necessarily between the lines on the ice, on the court, on the diamond, whatever. Uh, it's just a little bit out there. And this is, this is an example of the stuff that they're going to talk about. They, it was Tom Brady's birthday. Happy 40th. Woohoo! It's a good way to do it. So what do you get for the man who has everything? The man who has numerous Super Bowl rings. The man who is known as the goat. In many, many instances, people refer to him as the greatest of all time. The goat. So what did they do? They held a party with goats. <laughs> Oh, we miss Freddie Gauthier, don't we? I'm glad we were able to get that goat some work, though. That's good. Um, but, uh, yeah, they had a, they had a, a birthday party for him, and they had a goat wearing a number 40, a little Patriots jersey. Couldn't make that up. So I guess if if, if you're going to find out something to do for Tom Brady, that would be the way to go. Have a, a birthday for the goat with... Goats. Um... Somebody not the greatest of all time when it comes to quarterbacks. Uh, Kirk Cousins, or Kurt Cousins as the owner called him a couple of weeks ago. or one of the managerial types. But uh, Kirk Cousins has a background of being in musicals. I don't know if you knew that or not. But when he was a young man, he would perform in community theater. When, when he was in high school back in Michigan... Um, but a microphone was able to catch Kirk Cousins during one of the uh, one of the workouts so far as camp is open in the NFL. So here's here's what the microphone caught the Washington Redskins quarterback doing.
5: The ten dollar founding father, without a father, went a lot farther by working a lot harder, by being a lot smarter, by being a self starter. By 14,
1: they put him in charge of a trading charter. He's rapping Hamilton. That's awesome. And now you know why you can't get tickets. Now, if Kirk Cousins was starring in Hamilton, you might be able to get some tickets here. I thought that was very cool. Good for Cousins. I did try. I, I was stupid enough to try and go online and see if I could get Hamilton tickets. Uh, no, just no. Want to go to New York for the weekend? Go see Hamilton. Uh, no. Good luck to you. Sold out for what was it a couple of years in advance? It's ridiculous. But uh, there is somebody, Kirk Cousins, who obviously appreciates. The musical. Uh, Keith Bowers, is the producer. You were saying that, uh, that you'll have a follow-up to uh, to a quarterback singing story.
4: Yes, I have a follow-up to a WTF that we did yesterday with the uh, esteemed Andy McNamara, who will be occupying your chair in about uh, seven minutes or so. Yeah, he's in for Scotty Mac today. Yes, there was a video that surfed, uh, surfaced of e- Giants quarterback Eli Manning dancing in the Giants locker room yesterday. And, I mean, we see Eli on the field. He's essentially the kind of guy who trips over his own feet. So yeah. it's not that you expect him to be the most, you know, dignified dancer. But anyways, there was a song that was playing. and I can't remember the exact name of the song. But, uh, yeah, the, there was a cell phone camera that caught him, uh, you know, busting a move, having a good time. And he responded to that today. You know, he obviously caught a little heat for trying to dance when, you know, when you dance the way he does. It's, is
1: it, ab- it's, abso- is it it's absolutely f- oh it's, it's awful. It ba- See what we we saw. I mean, no
4: worse than I would look dancing, but I'm not the one. I'm not the
1: one on camera. We saw Big Bro Peyton on Saturday Night Live doing the dancing sketch in the locker room, right when he was playing the basketball player. And it, it was less awkward than I thought it was going to be. Like it was it was obviously meant to be funny,
4: and I think, but he pulled it off. And I also think Peyton Manning he. He's able to pull off being awkward a lot better than his younger brother. He just, he, I, I think he, 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 just, he just, I think he accepts it more.
1: Okay. Which would be, you're, now we should preface this by saying you're a Giants fan. You love Eli Manning. Oh, he's my boy. Which is more awkward as far as a dancer goes? Is it Eli Manning or is it everybody's 65 year old uncle at a wedding that has the one shirt tail hanging out trying to dance to old time rock and roll? Eli Manning 100%. Not, even more awkward than that? Not, not even a question. Wow, what's he uh, you don't know what kind, what uh, what kind of music is he dancing to? Is it is it is it rock, is it rap, is it R&B, what is it? I believe
4: hip-hop? it was a hip hop song, okay. but I would need clarification on that. Anyways, back to the original point. Yes. He pretty much just kind of clarified today. He's just like, "Listen, I couldn't help it. It's my jam." <laughs> so, I don't I don't think you can blame <laughs> wait, a guy a for just trying to wait, wait. trying to bust no, no, a no. move to his jam. No, 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 no.
1: Eli Manning has a jam.
4: Hard to believe. Wow,
1: that's awesome.
4: Yeah, see, this this so, so. See, this is why I love these little videos and things that just pop up on social media. It just it gives you a a little different look at you know the personality of these athletes that we see on the football field every Sunday mm-hmm. or on the diamond, wherever. Well, that's what we have.
1: So that's uh, that's this edition of WTF, and we learned about rapping quarterbacks and pseudo dancing quarterbacks. We'll have quarterbacks on the airwaves tonight. Uh, we have the uh, Argonauts taking on Calgary. Um, Seven o'clock is when we will hit the airwaves, getting ready for uh, the kickoff. Should be an entertaining tilt. I like the fact that uh, uh, Marner has come out now again yesterday. Mitch Marner of the Leafs with the with the big tweet saying, "Hey, can't wait to be there," and he's got the uh, uh, the gif. He's got uh, Jimmy Fallon chair dancing with Elmo, but he went to the first game apparently and uh, and had a blast. Uh, to the point where somebody told me he bought a box for the second game. Got He went all out. Like, he really enjoyed himself. He went out with some of the players after the first game, uh, got to know them, went to the second game, and then uh, uh, he tweeted he's going to the next one as well. So they've got him. They need a Drake, right?
4: The Argos need a Drake. How long they Drake. Matthews? I mean, that that's the big get right there. I mean, Marner's obviously a great step, but... Sure. I don't. I don't think their their mission's complete until Austin Matthews is at BMO Field. Oh, he's an American. What does he know about football? He's hopefully he's hopefully <laughs> going to have you know another fifteen to twenty years to find out. Exactly. But uh, I don't. Even,
1: where does he? Do you even know where he summers? Does Matthews go back to Arizona? Because if you're going to yeah. go somewhere, why would you go back to Arizona in August?
4: Uh, I mean, I'm sure he's been all over the place. I know. Uh, I think it was Tyler Bozak who got married uh, over in Colorado, I believe, mm-hmm. and I'm pretty sure he was over there. Uh, But no, based on his social media, I think he's just kind of been... He's been in southern U.S. somewhere. I was
1: only in Arizona once and it was in August.
4: Not a good call. Just
1: ridiculously hot. So this He should get the cottage up here and then go to Argo Games. Or TFC Games or whatever his groove is. Jay's Games. Uh, Thank you. Screws. Thank you, Keith, on the other side of the glass. Andy McNamara has walked into the studio very rudely because the show's not over yet. The door was open. Yeah. Sandy Mack. He'll keep you company for the next three hours here on TSN 1050. You